This is the Mind Body Work podcast dedicated to discussions about the well-being and health of working professionals. My first guest speaker today is Neil Laybourne, who is the founder of a mental health and well-being consultancy. His passion for mental health stems from a personal experience where he intervened in a suicide attempt in London. Over the years, Neil has become a prominent mental health advocate in the UK, launching an award-winning mental health conference and co-funding the national charity Beyond. In 2023, he launched a consultancy aiming to help workplaces offer quality wellbeing programmes. Hi, good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, I hope you're doing well too. Yeah, all good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, So if you're ready, we'll jump right into it. So today's podcast is called Spotlight on Mental Health, Addressing Stress in the Workplace. So chronic and even short-term stress can be incredibly detrimental to our mental and physical well-being and is something organisations absolutely need to be aware of when considering the welfare of their employees. So with that being said, Neil, my first question for you is can you talk us through some of the common signs and symptoms of workplace stress that leaders and employees should be aware of? Sure. Well, I think let's start off with how I think everybody tries to define stress and then I can kind of get into that answer I mean like there's an official way I think like you can get it from all sorts of places um the health and safety executive would say it's the adverse reaction people have to excessive pressures or other types of demands placed on them I mean I think it's just something that we all know that we're going to have it right and Mm -hmm. a healthy amount of it is always productive I think a lot of people know that I think we have to realise that, yeah, it's, it's a condition of, of working life that we're going to come across it. Um, and it's something that we're going to have to learn our own relationship about stress. So getting into, getting into um, what leaders and employees should be aware of, I think, again, there's some headline stuff which would be the official way to look out for stress. You know, there's going to be things like, you know, arguments that occur between colleagues or, um, you know, you could manage things like is, is are our stress mitigation policies like um, uh, reducing turnover? Like, is that a sign of stress? Like, are people leaving? Um, are, there, are there more reports of stress coming through, like either through um, individuals or through like line managers of their teams? Um, people would attribute stress to like sickness and absence or decreased performance um more complaints coming through um and i think we've all heard of the term presenteeism as well where you just you know you're you're there but you're not really there because there's something else going on those are those are kind of official signs but i think using my background in mental health awareness um and well-being honestly most of those signs are not picked up and i think we're so good the the employee the individual is so good at, at masking um and not and not coming forward with these signs so you know honestly it will more often than not stress will manifest itself in ways that are not often visible and i think that's something we really need to be mindful of and why 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 it's more important to to put things in place to to have conversations about stress i think i think one of the first things to recognize is that your mind will keep going um, but your body will give up first. You don't, we don't realise and pick up that it's stress, so we keep going, and then that leads us into a really dangerous place, and that's what, as employers, I think we need to look out for. There are ways to spot it, 
But I would say more often than not, people don't exhibit those signs. So we really have to uncover, you know, how how people are doing in the organisation. Yeah, so regular check-ins, going out there, actually talking to your staff, getting to know them on a personal level is the right course of action, do you think? I think there's a, I think there's a mix of process. That definitely is is one part which needs to be done. You know that organisational um, insight. So, I guess what you would do as an organisation, like there is a legal duty of care for sure. You know, yeah. and, and at the highest level, it's in the the 1974 Safety at Work Act, where you know every employer actually has a duty of care mm. to make sure that their you know the work is is not causing undue stress. And I think you do that two ways. Like there's the company level. Like, first of all, you you know, you definitely need a policy around it. So there's like a company level where, you know, maybe through whole teams or by the role in the company, you know, you have an assessment criteria in place and you can look at a stress risk assessment. But at an individual level, if an employee actually tells you they're experiencing work-related stress, actually there is a duty to do an individual risk mm-hmm. assessment on you know some of the roles that might contribute to that stress um and that that comes down to work design um which i can talk about you know if you want me to go into that but then on the bit that you mentioned joanne i was just like just checking in Mm. there's a whole bunch of stuff outside of the workplace that that duty of care can't really cover like you have no idea what's going on with somebody at home, you know, like yeah. what's going on with their relationships, with their financial situation, you know, with their, you know, their their health and lifestyle habits, for example, which might be, you know, causing lack of sleep or so there could be a whole bunch of reasons outside of the employer's control. And really, the best way to look at that is to look at like good um I call it emotional quotient skills or good communication skills. And you can learn that through one, you know, you can do some, you know, mental health awareness, which is is great. And you can start that really, really simply. But I think you can develop that for leaders to be much more like around, you know, leadership conversational qualities, just around empathetic conversations. And, And that in itself can really alleviate a lot of stress for people. So like oh, we do that through our daily work at, at, at NLC, but any company can can put those things in place quite easily. But like I said, there is a whole work design element which a company could do. Uh, you know, I'm happy to go into that if, if you have time today. Possibly for another time, as we've got a few points to, to get through um, on, in today's uh, session. Um, but I, I did want to just pick up quickly on the external factors that you mentioned as well um, and how just it's not just inside the office, but outside of the office too, where things are going on, which you need to be mindful of. And even um, in the economy, like the cost of living crisis and the wars going on can cause people that external stress. So looking out for these signs is is so crucial. Um, But you mentioned as well about work-life balance. And I was having a look at the findings of Alight's 2023 International Workforce and Wellbeing Mindset Study, which found that nearly half of employees say work-life balance is a key component to maintain a healthy lifestyle so um, in in light of that um, my next question is what role can leaders play in promoting that work-life balance and preventing burnout especially in high stress industries or roles yeah okay great so um, just on the first bit you mentioned like outside the workplace like Mm -hmm. everything that's going on for people like you said 
um, the, the, the analogy a lot some people might know this on the like on the on listening in today but the best way to describe that is everybody has this this um, stress container this is from like mental health first aid module that I did lots of work with in the past and that stress container is very different from one individual to another individual right and what you've got to know is essentially like what is the size of somebody's stress container because we've all got our default stuff that is sitting in there anyway like the fact I've got a um you know my car needs to go in for an MOT um okay like I've got my Mm. my self-assessment tax return to do and I've got um you know, I've got, um, I don't know, to, to do the, the school drop-offs every month and all this daily life stress, which is going to be sitting in that container anyway. Now, if for some reason somebody's container is very, very full, okay, and the reason it's full, because imagine there's a tap on that container and that tap are your coping mechanisms. And every time you open that tap, you can empty your container. So those coping mechanisms are like, you know, your healthy relationships, your you know, your your sleep, your nutrition habits, your, you know, your relationship with your workload and things like that. And if those things are really healthy, you empty that container. But if they're not, if those lifestyle practices aren't in place, what happens is you take a big life event, like, you know, uh, losing somebody, or let's say, you know, uh, you don't get that promotion at work, or let's say like that huge client deadline, you get that, that extra bit of stress that goes in and it completely overflows. And then that's what pushes you towards actually the manifestation of stress and actually like the negative consequences which are in having to take time off work actually like it will affect your relationships it will affect your productivity you won't be able to perform so that stress container analogy is really really key for like the outside of work stuff and that's the stuff you can pick up through mental health awareness training the stuff leaders can do Um, I think there's six key areas which I'll just touch on each one really briefly so number one is like these are the roles of like how you would manage stress is demands so look at somebody's workload their work patterns and their environment basically like are they able to cope with their demands of their job or not so leaders can look at that number two is about control so how much control does a person have in the way they work and like do they have a say in which they can, you know, perform their work to the best of their ability? Number three is about support. So very often people don't receive enough information and support from their leaders in that role, or they're given enough encouragement or sponsorship or the resources to do their job properly. Number four is about relationships. So, you know, just avoiding conflict um addressing unacceptable behavior you know that is a responsibility of a leader um and if people are having you know toxic or unhealthy relationships at work um you know it's really really important to have a a strong policy around permission to to talk about those and in dealing with that Mm -hmm. number five is about you know the role like do people actually like understand their role and responsibilities if you come back to my example when I was a manager in that health club part of my stress was I just didn't quite understand like where I was I slotted into this huge machine I I didn't have that direction for that short period of time and then number six is about change and this is a big one and we see this a lot when we speak to our clients is how organizational change is managed and communicated through organizations and basically like 
are you including are you engaging people with that business change or not because it has a huge effect on them sure. um so that, that that's some of the way that leaders can really think about addressing stress in the workplace follow us on twitter at workworldpro or join us on linkedin and facebook yeah, absolutely. You've touched upon how communication is is so key, is so vital. Employees just need to know what's going on so they can adapt accordingly. And we're just going to skip ahead slightly now. And something that I've been really keen to ask you about, and one of the reasons I'm so keen to get you on, on the podcast today, is to discuss that pivotal experience you had, which was 15 years ago now on London's Waterloo Bridge. So can you just explain uh, what happened and how it inspired your passion for mental health and well-being? Sure, right. So look, none of this, I wouldn't be in the in the room talking today if it hadn't been for this one, um, I guess, like accidental moment. Um, yeah, 15 years ago, 2008, I was in the fitness industry. Uh, I was on that, that early days when I was in my burnout phase, when I was, you know, just delivering client sessions. And one morning walking to work crossing waterloo bridge on the way to work i um unexpectedly see a stranger sitting on the side of waterloo bridge um there ensues a conversation in hindsight now i know that's called a suicide intervention i didn't know that's what it was at the time i literally just started a conversation i asked him why he was there and when he told me joanne that he was there to take his life um which I didn't I didn't know I I had to ask I just completely believed him you know he I'd never seen somebody that distraught before and um essentially essentially yeah our conversation that we had on that bridge for 30 minutes which ended by him being like arrested by the police and taken away and sectioned that that conversation was actually going to revisit me six years later in 2014 when that that person in question on the bridge actually had gone through this amazing recovery period and wanted to reach out and say thank you and he launched this social media campaign it was dubbed find mike so for everybody on the podcast like my name is neil but he thought i was mike he thought i looked like a mike i sounded like a mike i don't know so he called the campaign find mike so that sort of derailed the search a little bit, but it went completely global, virally. It was on Twitter. It was it was trending um, above Barack Obama, Beyonce one week, and it, it it got the top spot on Twitter. It was on CNN. It was, um, it was in the UK, terrestrial TV. He was on Lorraine Kelly, like looking, for, you know, doing this search. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I I caught wind of it through my fiance's um some one of her friends had posted about the search on her facebook i saw it i read it and that that 30 minute conversation six years prior just came flooding back you know and i was like wow that conversation i'd almost forgotten about to be honest had actually made such a profound difference to that guy that he wanted to, to reach out and say thank you. And then we we met, like we met, like literally a week after that um, that campaign and I came forward, we met. Wow. And it was at that moment in 2014 um, that my journey in mental health advocacy, um, campaigning with with this chap, Johnny, Johnny Benjamin, who's now, you know, quite, quite well known, 
Um, we started campaigning around men's mental health, suicide awareness with a couple of big national charities, supporting mental health um, campaigns and initiatives. And it was the catalyst of my career to date professionally in mental health and well-being within the workplace. And it all started from this accidental moment. So I think there's just something magical there about like you never know what happens today, how that's going to affect you um, in, in years to come. Yeah, incredible. What a moment. Um, and considering you've directed your whole life and career into following this path of mental health and well-being, it's it's obvious it's had a massive impact um, on you in every way, shape and form. Um, and of course, led to some fantastic projects and campaigns, such as your involvement with uh, Beyond, the national charity. Um, so, so really quickly, can you just tell us about your involvement with... Um, with Beyond and the impact it's had on providing mental health interventions for young people? Yeah, well, about halfway through our journey together as friends and campaigners and really just about the time we started going into the workplace, um, we didn't know where it was going to lead, if we were going to continue to, you know, do this work and we wanted to leave a legacy. So we decided to create um, a a foundation, a charity that could give grants to other organisations and we we did and... um, for two years it was uh it was intense and it was difficult i'd never done it before we we created this charity we we put a board of trustees together we got it through the charity commission it looks very different now than it did um five years ago um but it just had its fifth year anniversary this year so we created it in 2018 They've just celebrated five years. Um, I actually stepped away after two years, so I'm not going to take any credit for the last three years because, <laughs> you know, after setting it up, I felt like I'd done what its purpose was, which was to, you know, uh, bring money in, give money to other organisations that do great things and support young people. It's a, It supports young people. It goes into schools. It it supports um, youth intervention with mental health. It puts, um, it puts funding in place where funding isn't there for, for young people to to make yeah interventions with when they're struggling with their mental health i'm so proud that this johnny who's obviously a friend and we've worked together is is running it day to day and um it's it's lovely that that legacy that we wanted to be there exists exists today so um if if anybody wants to see the charity it's wearebeyond.org Amazing. Oh, that is so fantastic. Well, Neil, look, it's been fantastic to speak to you today. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best. Thank you. Cheers. If you have any comments on the podcast, or you'd like to suggest a topical speaker or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email editor at workplacewellbeing.pro. We look forward to hearing from you. My second guest speaker today is Simon Blake, the Chief Executive of MHFA England. He is responsible for setting the organisation's strategic vision to improve the mental health of the nation. Simon has been instrumental in leading MHFA's England's commitment to becoming a truly anti-racist social enterprise. Simon is a thought leader for mental health, workplace wellbeing, equality and inclusion. Simon also often speaks and facilitates mental health and wellbeing events. Hi, Simon. How are you? Hello. Um, very good, thank you. Yeah, very, very good. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast, um, which is all about stress. The podcast name is Spotlight on Mental Health, Addressing Stress in the Workplace. Um, So as we know, stress is not uncommon, unfortunately. Many people do experience it, but organisations have an opportunity to improve employee experience and create a workplace wellbeing culture, which is a key aspect of mental health. So Simon, in light of that, my first question to you is, what are some effective strategies or initiatives that organisations can implement to promote employee well-being and reduce stress in the workplace? I think there are so many different things which organisations can do, but the really important thing is that it has to be you know, a whole organisation approach. It has to start with thinking about the workplace, thinking about where there may be pressure points and, and where possible designing those pressure points out of the business, or if we know there are going to be peaks and troughs, making sure that different teams are working in different ways and that people you know, are, are able to manage their workloads with the right tools, with the right support, to really do what we can to remove as many stresses as possible. But we also know that you know, stresses that are, appear within the workplace may also be from the wider world in relation to world events or to personal circumstances. And then really making sure that support is available for people through their line managers, through mental health first aiders, through an employee assistance programme and through other means to enable people to get the help and support uh, when they need it. And I guess probably the most important thing is there is no one size fits all, that different organisations will need to think about their circumstances, their work programmes, their outcomes in different ways, and then different people within organisations. The thing which may cause me enormous joy and challenge may cause somebody else uh, real stress. So it's then thinking about the individuals and recognising that we all have different responses to different situations. We all have different ways of managing stress containers. And then thinking about what we can do for everybody all the time. What do we need to do for uh, people who may be going through particularly difficult periods in their lives? And then what do we need to do to create workplaces where people with long-term mental illness can also thrive? So can you share some insights into the mission of MHFA England and how it aims to improve the mental health of the nation by training one in 10 of the adult population in mental health knowledge, awareness and skills? Absolutely. So Mental Health First Aid England is a a social enterprise and that mission is really about changing cultures. We know that right now the onus is often on individuals to ask for help. And it's my real firm belief that we've got to change that so that it's about all of us knowing um, how to offer help, how to recognise when people may be struggling, um, as well as enabling people to ask for help more effectively. So the one in 10 is really about creating that cultural tipping point, a where there are enough people that have the understanding about mental health, what it is, what it isn't, yeah, the difference between mental health um, and, and mental illness, about stigma and its impact, about signs and symptoms, and about how to signpost for to help and help and support. And when you have one in 10 of the adult population, that really what you're doing is creating that culture change, which will enable us all to be able to 
think about, talk about mental health and access help and support more easily. Mm, absolutely. And, and as I say, knowledge truly is is key. Um, and of course, we've come so far in recent years, especially since the pandemic and corporate events such as the Mad World event in London last week demonstrates how organisations are, are discussing employee well-being and experience far more frequently than ever before. Businesses recognise that understanding their employees and supporting them in turn supports their business. However, as you did touch upon briefly there, there is still that stigma surrounding mental health. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, in your experience, what are the most common misconceptions or stigmas surrounding mental health in the workplace? And how can leaders work to break down these barriers? I mean, stigma shows itself in so many different ways, doesn't it? It sometimes is about fear. It's sometimes through lack of knowledge and understanding. Um, and then sometimes through just uh, uh, prejudice and, and a combination of those different different things. And of course... It, it also sometimes shows in, in people thinking um, mental health is about other people, not about every single one of us. And so when it comes to workplaces, I guess there is sometimes a, a, a sense that uh, if, you, if you can't see uh, uh, that somebody is unwell, then they're not really unwell. And so people will think about mental illness differently than they do about physical um, illness. They sometimes will think that somebody, um, because they're performing well at work and, and doing well, that they are uh, they're absolutely fine when they may well be struggling um, outside of work or even you know, in the work context. Um, and and all of those sort of prejudices, those those stigmas, also mean that sometimes um, people will self censor. So somebody may not ask for help because they fear it will impact on how people view them. It will impact on their career and um, prospects or on how how well they believe they're going to get on within the organization and so really what organizations you know going right back to the basics have to do is be really clear that we know and understand um, that we all have mental health we know that work can create uh, 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 workplace stress that work can uh, impact on people's well-being and that we're going to do everything that we can to address that at an organisation level and will provide support to individuals um, when they need it. Um, and to challenge stigma all the way, and sometimes that's done through storytelling. So senior leaders talking about their own experiences or inviting um, speakers in or thinking about, you know, how do we talk about well-being and mental health in the context of um, our everyday business and, and, and recognising that mental health and well-being um, and performance fuel one another. When you're performing well, you're more likely to, to feel well. And when you feel well, you're more likely to perform well. So they go absolutely hand in hand. Yep. Yep. Some great advice there. And like I say, we're getting better, but um, there's still a long way to go. But we're making positive steps. Um, and it's always great to hear when organisations get it right and lead by example. So can you um, share any success stories of organisations that have effectively incorporated mental health knowledge, awareness, awareness of stress and skill training in their workplace culture? I think, as you, as you say, we're, we're getting um, better uh, at, at talking about um, uh, mental health and well-being in the context of work. And we've worked you know, over the last 15 years or so with over 20,000 organisations and, and people you know, really thinking about their culture. I think 
during COVID, we saw lots of organisations think about employee well-being. Um, we know that organisations you know, are, are training line managers. We know that organisations are putting in place mental health first aider programmes. We know that organisations are looking at job design um, and about the skills and tools um, that we have. Uh, financial well-being is a real issue at the moment, and we know that uh, lots of organisations are putting in place um, strategies to try to support uh, employees with their uh, financial health, um, and then really raising awareness of of, of issues and topics um, of of concern uh, for their employees. And and the key bit about all of this is this is about organisations. Um, working with employees to understand what the issues are and to think about how they may be able uh, to address those in order to help people to be able to thrive. So increase flexibility, uh, you know, ensuring that people have got the tools to be able to do their work. It's really important, I guess. What we see from organisations who are doing this successfully is that what they're doing is thinking about this in relation to core business. It's not an add-on. It doesn't just sit in... Um, one person's responsibility. It has strategic leadership and and, and championing right from the top um, and then goes all the way through the organisation's spine uh, and that individuals, every employee gets the opportunity to input um, into uh, how we do do things, how we can support them to to be better equipped uh, uh, within the context of work to get the support they need, peer support, uh, external support, etc. Fantastic. Thank you, Simon. And I just have one final question left for you today. So as a thought leader in the field, what do you see as the future of mental health and workplace well-being? And how can leaders prepare themselves and their organisations for upcoming challenges and opportunities in this area? I mean, we, we need to do a couple of PhDs on this one, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think for me, the the real key about this is that it has to be everybody's business it has Mm -hmm. to be a whole organization approach and we have to be really clear what it is that organizations can do and where they can have the greatest impact because there is a risk I think that organizations keep trying to do more and more and more but actually employees don't feel connected uh, to it and, and don't feel and don't know and understand what support there is available. Um, and so really, for me, this has to be about what is what is it that we need to be doing in the context of work, support people's well-being in order to be able to help them to do their job well. And really, right back to that bit, which I said at the start, what do we need to do for everybody all of the time? And thinking about culture and leadership and management within that what do we need to do to ensure that people can get help in those moments that they need it? And how do we make sure that we are an organisation in which people who have um, long-term mental illness can really thrive within the workplace? And if we keep those three things in mind, then we will really be on the way to uh, ensuring that we are addressing the needs of everybody and also thinking about what it means for businesses. Because when I talk to organisations, what they really want to know is that they're doing the best for their employees and that it's going to have um, a positive impact on business performance. And, and, And 
when we get those two things right, we know, you know, we've seen from the Deloitte research that for every pound that's spent on mental health support, that there is uh, a, a five pounds um, plus uh, return um, on investment. And so, you know, we know that there's a moral case, we know that there's a human case, and we know that there's a financial case. But in putting all of those things together, you know, at the heart of this has to be you know, a real recognition that you know, the world of work is really changing, you know, that we've increasingly um, in a hybrid, flexible uh, uh, a world, that we've got different expectations uh, of, of work uh, for, across different generations, across different industries, and that every single thing that we do as we're really trying to redesign, rethink about how work is best done, is about mental health and well-being and about performance. And those two things go absolutely hand in hand. Yeah, I could not agree more. Simon, you've been so helpful today. Share some really great, valuable information. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Mind Body Work podcast is brought to you by WorkplaceWellbeing.pro, a website dedicated to the well-being and health of working professionals. Daily news items are posted, accompanied by in-depth analysis of topics including financial well-being, mental health and stress. You can sign up for our weekly newsletters to keep up to date with our content. Thank you for listening.